A very big happy Mother's Day to everyone at Elam Chapel. It would have been great to be with you in person, but as the COVID restrictions carry on, we have to do this virtually. But I hope that you're doing very, very well. I hope that you're having a wonderful day celebrating your mother and uh, pray the Lord's hand of peace and encouragement upon all the mothers out there. You're doing a great job and uh, we're very, very grateful for you and we love you. And today we want to look at a story in the Bible that looks at uh, two mothers and what we can learn about our walk with Christ from these two mothers. And the story we're going to be looking at is the story of Rachel and Leah in the book of Genesis, chapter 29. I'm going to read a few verses for us and we'll be looking at these two women's lives and to see what can we learn from them. And specifically, whenever we look at the Old Testament, we want to ask ourselves the question, how does this point to Jesus? What is this story telling me about Christ? And so let's pick it up in Genesis chapter 29, starting at verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So there's so much in this story that we want to discuss and, and talk through. 
Uh, why don't we have a short word of prayer and then we'll get right into it. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for our mothers. Thank you, God, for the incredible grace and fortitude you've granted them. I pray, God, your special hand of blessing and encouragement and joy upon all the mothers and to all of our mothers who sacrificed for us. And I thank you, God, that you are a God uh, who loves us, who cares for us, and that you are passionate about us, and that you have given your son Jesus to open our hearts and our minds to learn from you. Pray with thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So Rachel has it all. She's successful, she, she's a, a shepherdess, and she's gorgeous. And along comes Jacob, and he notices her, and he's super attracted to her, and meets with Laban, and decides that he wants to marry her. And so we'll start later on the past and come back. But it's interesting that with everything that she has, all the success that she has, she's missing out. She doesn't, she's not able to have children. And so the Bible talks about how you can have hopes and how hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And so it's very telling what she says. She says, give me children or I shall die. Very, very strong language. And it shows that her entire existence is built up on wanting to have children. Now, having wanting to have children is a great, great thing. It's, it's a wonderful blessing. And so it's sometimes confusing why God not only withholds that kind of a blessing, but many other blessings that we ask for in life at different times. Consider how Hannah responded. Uh, very, very different than Rachel. Hannah, of course, wants to have children and uh, she can't. And so she's saying that she's deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord. A very different response that Hannah has compared to Rachel. Or think of Elizabeth, how in Luke chapter 1, how she's advanced in years and how she's not able to have children, but how the Bible speaks of her and her husband Zechariah were both righteous. And so you see how God in his wisdom and God in his way at sometimes will withhold certain things from us. And so it's important for us to ask ourselves, how do I respond to disappointment? What's, what's my reaction to it? Now, that doesn't mean that Rachel or Elizabeth or Hannah uh, should have said, ah, you know, no problem, I have God, I shouldn't worry about not having kids. No, no, not far from it. It's just that two of these women, both uh, Elizabeth and Hannah, viewed God in light of what was happening. They didn't turn the way other around and view their situation as the number one thing in their life. And so it's important for us, it's a good lesson for us to ask ourselves, how do I deal with disappointment? How do I deal with discouragement? And uh, these three mothers really give us a keen insight, especially Hannah and Elizabeth, that our identity is wrapped up in Jesus and that even when times don't always seem to uh, dictate to us the way in which we want things to go, that God is still very, very much at work, even though at times it may not seem that way to us. Well, then we get to the uh, incredible character of Jacob. And uh, Jacob is, a, is so love-struck over Rachel. It's fascinating what he says in verse 18, that he offers Laban to work for her for seven years. And we ask ourselves the question, why, why seven years? Uh, Robert Alter suggests that the typical wage earner would have had earned about one to one and a half shekels per month. So the quote unquote, I don't want to use the word price for a bride because that's not what it was. It wasn't like paying off or paying to obtain a wife. It was a sign of showing honor to say, 
I have such value in this woman that I'm willing to spend a lot of time and effort and give that to you as a token of my love and my sacrifice uh, for this woman. So it's not really seen as a quote unquote slave trade or buying or that sort of thing. It's very, very different culture, obviously. But it's suggested that the quote unquote cost for a bride would have been around 50 shekels. So if you do some quick math, one and a half shekels a month times 12 months would be about 18 shekels per year. And in order to get 50 shekels, you're looking at about 2.8 or so years to do that. Now that's between one and one and a half. So you could very quickly say, yeah, about three and a half years would be kind of a going rate. But Jacob does 12 years. Why does he do that? Some people say that he was so irrational, that he was so lovesick. Other people suggest that, you know, he didn't understand the custom of the time. And that's why he was so shocked when Laban told him, oh, it's uh, not the custom here to have the younger get married first. The older has to get married first. So why does Jacob do that? Well, I would suggest that Jacob actually did know that custom. He's the new guy in town. He sees this beautiful girl. Why is she still single? The earlier part in chapter 29 shows that there's all kinds of different shepherds there. Trouble is that Leah's not that attractive, as we'll see in a moment. And none of the guys want to marry Leah. And because there's this custom, Jacob figures out, well, why isn't she taken? Because of this custom that the older has to marry first. So you've heard of a, a love triangle before? Well, this is more of a love square. You have Laban, who wants to marry off his two daughters, but nobody wants Leah. You have Leah, who wants to get married, but nobody wants her. You have Rachel who wants to get married, but she can't get married because Leah is standing in her way. And Jacob really, really wants Rachel, but he can't get to Rachel because nobody will marry Leah. So it's this fascinating love story happening right here in the book of Genesis. So, so what happens? You look at how Jacob says that he's not going to do for seven years. Very likely he's offering seven years because he's paying for two brides. He only wants the one. He doesn't want to have Leah, but he recognizes that she's never going to get married off. So it's very likely that he offered Laban seven years to guarantee that he would have Rachel and that Laban wouldn't quote unquote suffer any loss for that. But it's fascinating that when Laban uh, talks to Jacob and Jacob's trying to win the heart of, uh, of Laban to give him his daughter Rachel, very specifically, notice what he says. He does not say, I will serve you seven years for your daughter Rachel. He says, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter Rachel. Now, Laban is the father. Is Why would he not know that Rachel is his younger daughter? Well, he does know. It's just that Jacob is making it very, very clear when he says the word younger daughter, he understands the custom that the older should get married first, but he's making a specific deal for his younger daughter to get married first. It's a, such an obvious statement. Imagine if I were to come to you and say, you know, I really love Canada. Uh, that's the country that we live in. Well, it's so obvious. And yet Jacob is making a very obvious point to us by saying the younger daughter, Rachel, to make it very, very clear that he knows what the custom is and that he's trying to find a way around this custom. So Laban doesn't respond with an outright yes. He says, ah, oh, it's better I give her to you than to somebody else. But Jacob sure hears a yes there. 
And that's what he wants. He's in such love for Rachel that he, he just goes ahead and does it. Now, verse 25 is, is a sad verse in the Bible. It says that he wakes up and behold, it was Leah. Now, what is the Bible trying to tell us with that particular story? Well, being married, Jacob loving Rachel is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. But it's important for us to understand that Jacob has now made Rachel into his ultimate need in life. There's no indication here of what Jacob's walk with God is like. Uh, doesn't seem to be very strong because you don't hear much about it. That comes later on. But it's fascinating that when we put other things in place of God, no matter how good they might be, whether they are great things or bad things, regardless, when we replace God in the morning, those things are always Leah. They don't fulfill us. Nothing can. And one of the challenges we face in our culture is because we have so many opportunities for so many things, we can continue to run and chase and find different ways. And yet no matter what we chase after, whether we get it or not, in the morning, it's always Leah. So it's a question for us to ask ourselves, what am I valuing the most? What do I cherish the most? What, what is my greatest joy? Because in the morning, when we love Christ, Christ is our fulfillment. He is our morning. He is the everything in our hearts and our lives that draws us closer to God. But when we replace that with something else, in the morning, it's always Leah. It doesn't fulfill us the way we hope that it would. And the third story, part in our story, is the wonderful story of Leah, who I think is actually the main character in this story. Uh, it's certainly open for, for debate. But uh, the story says that Leah's eyes were weak or quote-unquote soft. And there's different ways to interpret that particular passage. Some people suggest that Rachel was stunning and Leah was not good-looking at all. Other people suggest that Rachel's beauty was very obvious. It was the way that she looked. She had an incredible figure and looked great, whereas Leah's beauty was a hidden beauty. And you had to study hard to find the beautiful character that was in her. But regardless of which way we look at it, the reality is that Leah was unloved. Jacob didn't love her. Jacob loved Rachel. The Bible makes that very, very clear. And so Leah is looking around, realizing that she's kind of holding up the show here for Rachel. And uh, that's got to be frustrating for her. And so she looks at her own life and thinks, you know, if I could... I could just improve in some way, shape, or form. If I could just change things somehow, some way, maybe I could get some of these shepherd boys to love me and, and marry and get married to me, uh, which certainly speaks to the fact that they didn't really find her very attractive or something of that nature because nobody else wanted her. It wasn't just Jacob. There were other guys there and nobody wanted her. It's a very, very sad, sad story. So she thinks, you know what? If, now that I'm married to Jacob, uh, what if I start having kids? Maybe I could turn things around. And it's fascinating because, you know, when, uh, when Jacob finds out that it's Leah, what does Jacob say to Laban? Why have you deceived me? And it's very, very similar to what happened when he was with his father Isaac and he deceived Isaac by putting on the hairy garments to pretend that he was Esau. And he deceived his own father. And so Jacob doesn't really fight back very much when, when he finds that out. He doesn't uh, you know, force Laban to a deal. Laban simply says, these are the rules here. And Jacob realizes that he too had deceived. And so what goes around certainly came around in that particular story. 
And so all this time later, here's Leah. And Leah thinks, you know, if I can just have children, then my husband will love me. And it's fascinating because the first son that she has is Reuben. Reuben means a son. And the passage, it talks about how the Lord has looked on my affliction. And so here's Leah wanting to be seen. She's wanting so badly for her husband to take notice of her, to see her. All the other guys just, you know, they passed her by, right? It's just like, oh, it's Leah. Hey, there's Rachel. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's Leah over there. And she feels that. She feels this sense of being unloved, feels this sense of nobody looks at me. Nobody, nobody sees me. The second son is uh, Simeon. And Simeon is fasting because the, Simeon, the name Simeon means to be heard. So here's Leah. She, she wants to have communication with somebody. You know, in this COVID crisis, boy, have we ever learned a lot about the need for human interaction, the need for, for us to be together as people. I sure miss being there in person. I was really looking forward to seeing everybody. Uh, and you can tell, like during this crisis, we don't see people nearly as often. Our communication is very different. Uh, imagine that. 10 or 100 fold in Leah's case. Nobody really wants to get to know her. Nobody really wants to talk with her. And so that need for communication is, is, is huge in Leah's heart. And so she just wants to be heard. Notice very interesting the name of the third son, Levi, which means to be attached. Now there's a lot of great symbolism with that word. When I was in my mother's womb, I was attached to her through the umbilical cord. All of us in our mother's womb were attached to our mothers. And so that need for human attachment doesn't change over time. We still want to be attached to people, but it doesn't happen, not for Leah. Even after three kids, and Leah knows that Adam had three kids. Leah knows that Noah had three boys, uh, not just kids, but boys. And when you look at um, the line of Abraham, she knows that the promise of God fulfilling his promise through Abraham was coming through Jacob. So she's looking around thinking, well, I mean, I'm the one having kids. Like, shouldn't you be looking at me? Like, I'm the, I'm the one that's, that's doing all this. So what happens? Well, none of that works for Leah. And so sad. What does she say at the end, though? Her fourth child is Judah. And when she says that, Judah means praise. So at that point, she stops from all of the searching for wanting to be seen and to be in communication, to be attached to her husband, which is a beautiful thing. I mean, this is what a marriage should be, but it doesn't happen for Leah. Instead, she looks to God and praises God in the midst of that. Very, very similar to, to Hannah in that sense. So let's have a quick look at the family tree and let's try and understand what we can learn about God through this particular story. What, what specifically is God saying to us both literally and symbolically. Leah has six boys and one girl. They are Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and a daughter, Dina. Leah's maid has two boys. They are Dan and Naphtali. Rachel has two boys, Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph, of course, the famous guy who brought the Israelites uh, into Israel, or into Egypt, rather. And Rachel's maid had Gad and Asher. So here's the, the critical question. Which line does Jesus come from? Out of all those 12 people that are listed there, which line does Jesus come from? Notice in Isaiah chapter 
11. Verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Very, very interesting. So which tribe is he from? We know this from Matthew 1 verse 2, Abraham, the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Judah. Judah. Here's the great lesson from this entire story. Leah is the main character. Who is Leah? Leah is you and me. We were unloved. There's nobody who wanted to look at us. There's nobody who was willing to hear us. There was no one who was willing to become attached to us. Until who? Who showed up and said, I love you. I want to be attached to you. I want to come in and eat with him and he with me, Revelation. Who's the one who sees us? Jesus. Jesus Christ. And so Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection makes it possible for us not to have to try and earn our way to God, but for God to come down and to make it possible for us to be in a relationship with God. And what are we created to do? We exist for the praise of his glory, the Apostle Paul says. So we become worshipers of God because of who Jesus Christ is. And this is the great message, one of the many great messages in this story, that we don't have to strive anymore. We don't have to push anymore to try and find approval, to try and find love, to try and find acceptance. We have that all in Christ. Not any success, the way Rachel has looked for it, will ever fulfill that. Not the way Jacob does, where he tries to put something else in there. In the morning, it's always Leah. But Leah teaches us something. Teaches us that by being in a right relationship with God, that we have all the acceptance and love and joy and compassion and everything we could ever ask for. We have the life of Christ in you, the hope of glory. So it's fascinating how this, this story ends. And I'll close with this. In Genesis chapter 49, yeah, starting at verse 28. Notice how this passage, how this whole story ends off. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. This is Jacob speaking. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried who? Rachel or Leah? There I buried Leah. So in the end, after all of that, Jacob decides to be buried with Leah. A lot of great symbolism in there and a reminder that the death and resurrection that Christ has for us gives us the hope of eternal life. And that no matter what we're going through in life, whether these are great circumstances uh, or difficult circumstances, that we can learn from the story of Rachel that when we look 
at our own lives, there can be great things. We have to be very careful not to let them become idols. And secondly, like Jacob, I have to be very, very careful not to hope that I can find something else that will give me ultimate fulfillment because when I do that, in the morning when I wake up, it's Leah. And from Leah, the hero of this story, uh, the main character of this story is that we see that by following Christ, by loving God, that God removes from us this desperate need to find love and fulfillment and acceptance somewhere else in the world, but to truly find that in God, which allows us to worship him and to praise him. Uh, the Lord loves you. The Lord cares about you. And the Lord has a great and wonderful plan for your life. Be encouraged that whether times are great or times are not so great, to stay in the word, to stay praying, to stay close to Christ because he's in control of all things, even if at times we don't always understand why things are happening. And that's a great encouragement from this story. I love you. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day to all of, my, uh, all of our mothers, to my mother, and uh, may you be blessed and encouraged. God bless and see you soon.